Now, my brother John is here. I don't want you to think about our family in a bad way after you meet him and hear him talk. He is a, he is a strange young lad, but he's always been that way. So every family has one. My dad used to introduce John. Uh, he had Bible verses for all of us boys. But the verse for John was Luke seventeen fifteen. Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic. And uh, so that was really good. And I've really, uh, you know, and he told Brother Jensen. Now, I have never met Brother Jensen till tonight. Brother Jensen said that Johnny spoke to him a little bit. And so he came and told me what John said. And John said to tell He said, I just want you to know that he is the best looking of the bunch. Now, I don't know if that's true or not, but that's what he told. Isn't that what you told me? Johnny said, that's right. So, but you you know, you're going to be sure your sins will find you out. Uh, I will say this, though. John, here he is all alone. He got the suite over at the hotel. He has the living room. The dining room, two kitchens, three bathrooms. He, and we got this little hotel room. It's about the size of this, plat, this pulpit right here. So that's just. And then he had to send us pictures of how beautiful his place is. And how tiny our little place is. <laughs> we stay over at the hotel. Seriously, it's wonderful. It's fine. But he did get the big room. I'll tell you that right now. God bless his little heart. But uh, I, I read uh, a long, long time ago a good definition of a mission conference. It's a business meeting that determines the fate of the lost. A business meeting that determines the fate of the lost. Now, I, I support, uh, I don't know, 40-plus ministries uh, myself, personally. I give faith promise. Uh, I like to call it faith on purpose uh, to my local church. Uh, 10% of my income, uh, of course, goes for tithe at my local church. And another 10% I give to faith promise on purpose uh, to missions at my local church. But I... I give an, uh, support another bunch of missionaries. And I thought about it. I wrote this down the other day. I never even had these thoughts before. So this is pretty fresh for me. I support some people that probably don't need it. They may have enough support. But I just want to have a part in what they are doing for God. And there's some missionaries, I don't care how much they make. I don't think you could pay them too much for going, leaving this uh, country of ours and going to a far off land, taking their family and loved ones. Of course, the world's a little bit smaller now than it used to be. But uh, I respect missionaries highly. And uh, I support some probably don't need it, but I just won't be. I just want to have a part in what they're doing. And then I, I support some that desperately need it. They're just getting started. I got a text today from a young man. I just started supporting him. I, I don't know how I know how the church does it here, but. I uh, I send my mission money to the missionaries that I support, that my home church doesn't support, um, every four months. So they get three checks a year. 
And it looks like it's a little bit more that way, I guess. I don't know. But uh, he got his first check, and he texted me uh, today and thanked me for it. And uh, some need it, I think, because their fields are more difficult. Their families are growing. Uh, Maybe their finances are iffy. And uh, like Brother uh, Max just said a moment ago, here's a guy who lost 15%, basically, of his income because of something Kamala Harris said. Now, boy, I tell you, you are really on the edge if you're dependent on that poor old gal. And I don't want to get political, but somebody else already did. But I'd like to be a part of relieving uh, other people's burdens, their burdens for the work of God. And I, I got another little thought I had. I support some because I just love them. I love them. I support my brother John. He's doing missionary work, have for a long, long time. It's not much, but he's not worth much, frankly. But uh, but I love my brother, and I, I want to support him. I, I support my children on the mission field also. And a lot of other people. Uh, I support some because they're very able missionaries. They're good missionaries. They're doing a wonderful job. I support widows. I just had a dear friend die, uh, Brother Randy Pike. Uh, just a great man of God that I've known probably for close to 40 years. He just went home to be with the Lord. If you read the, I don't know, church get the Baptist bread, do they, here at the church? You get that? Brother Randy's in just about every issue of the Baptist bread. He went home to be with the Lord the 15th day of March. But I'm going to keep supporting his wife, Aideen. Uh, told the family I would do that and keep money coming to her because I believe we have a responsibility to widows indeed also. A tremendous, tremendous. Uh, and we're, we're instructed to do so by the word of God. And then I support some out of respect for what they did. Old missionaries that had to come off the field. Brother Randy Pike's probably been off the field 20 years. But I kept on supporting that great man of God. Not for what he was able to do, but what he had done in the past. And Randy was paralyzed from the waist down since he was an 18-year-old boy. And he died at 90 and still faithfully uh, serving the Lord. So uh, that's that was just free little bonus message. And I want you to look in your book, if you would, to the fourth chapter of the book of John. The fourth chapter of the book of John. I don't know what time you quit. What time do you quit? Don't tell me 8 o'clock because I've only got 15 minutes, okay? Uh, if you can stay over till 8.15, can you do that tonight? I don't know what time you get out. And I, I'm not overly worried about it, frankly. What's that noise? What was that noise? Did you hear that? It was weird. I guess feedback or something. Am I Mike? Are you guys got these things straightened out? You all right? I guess I don't know. Yeah, I'll tell you in a minute. Okay. Uh, Most of you know this story about Jesus and this woman at the well. And all of that had transpired. And get down to verse number 35. Jesus said this, he said, Say not ye, there are yet four months, and then cometh harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto eternal life, that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one soweth and another reapeth. 
I sent you to reap that labor that whereon ye bestow no labor. Other men labored and ye are entered into their labors. Let me read that verse again properly. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. Father in heaven, we thank you for these few minutes tonight. We thank you for being in a church that's interested in world missions. It's concerned about the fate of the heathen. Uh, We're not just focused upon ourselves, but we're interested in others. Now, I pray you'd help us tonight. And in these few days that we're together, that somehow supernaturally uh, the burden of missions could be transformed or transferred uh, from one, the word of God, and from the Lord himself, and from this preacher, and be laid upon the hearts of our listeners in these days. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to focus on verse number 36. And uh, I call it a threefold harvest. It says initially there, and he that reapeth receiveth wages. Uh, The individual that reaps this crop has been planted. It's been cultivated. It's been harvested now, and there's some remuneration that's received by the individual that does this reaping, that has done the sowing and the cultivating and the fertilizing, if you please, and the weeding and the laboring over this important harvest. It's an obvious truth, it's a simple statement. The more one sows, the more you'll reap. If you plant one tree, you'll support or you'll receive what comes from that tree. If you planted a hundred, you would get what came from a hundred. And I think, uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but this philosophy of faith promised missions. Now go back uh, 50 some years. My wife and I went off to Bible school, and uh, we'd gotten married in August, went to Bible school in September. Uh, We came home from a two-week honeymoon. And it wouldn't have been two weeks, except when I was walking out of the wedding, my boss was there. He owned the lumber company where I worked. He had come to the wedding, and he handed me an envelope, and when I opened it up, there was a Second week paid vacation. He'd already paid me for uh, one week and he just gave me a second week and there was a check in there for that. And so we didn't have any better sense than to go on a two-week honeymoon instead of a one-week. And uh, we came home. We didn't have any place to live. Honestly, I hadn't even anticipated that far into the marriage. Where are we going to live? We just wanted to get married. That's all there was to it. And uh, so we bought a little dinky house trailer. Uh, it was probably half as long as two-thirds of this building is wide. And uh, we went to Bible school and that, you know, all that wonderful furniture they put in, in house trailers. It was just very inexpensive stuff. And we were there that first October. They had a faith promise 
mission conference. I'd never heard of one. My father had never heard it, heard of one, I don't think. Never had one in the church. He had subsequently, and they give a lot to missions there, involved in missions uh, uh, very, very deeply. Uh, but I heard about it, and that guy presented it. You know, he just pray, and uh, if you get a figure that you want to give to God, uh, you tell him what it is, and if he supplies it, you give it, and if he doesn't, you don't have to give it. Well, that was kind of dumb in retrospect. And so I, I, I try to use the term faith on purpose. As a man purposeth in his heart, the Bible says, so let him give. You make up your mind what God would have you to give and to give that. Second Corinthians chapter nine and verse number seven is that verse. And you know, in the sixth verse of that chapter, if a man sows sparingly, he reaps sparingly. If a guy would sow bountifully, he would reap bountifully. And so the more you're going to sow, the greater you're going to get. That's just common sense. I was preaching somewhere, and there was a man there that was a farmer. And I asked him something. I'm not a farmer. Most of the stuff I ever planted died. Uh, I'm not a good, uh, I did plant some grass last year. It's done pretty good. It came up this year. But uh, uh, that's about the extent of my uh, uh, farmer ability. But I asked him, he, he, he farmed acres and acres of land. And I asked him a question. I said, on an ear of corn, field corn now, on an ear of corn, how many kernels are there? He said there's about 600. Now, I've never bothered to count them, but I took his word. He said, there's 600. I said, in an acre of land, if you're going to plow and plant corn, field corn, how many kernels, and they'd put maybe more than one in a hill, how many would you put, how many would there be? He said, there would be 26,000 in an acre if you planted them seven inches apart in rows 30 inches apart, you would have about 24,000 of them. You know, sometimes the crows would come and get them or, you know, some animal would come and root them up and they wouldn't be there. He said you would get 24,000 uh, corn stalks that would come in an acre. And I said, well, do the math. That would be 14 million 400,000 kernels of corn. So what you plant, you would expect to reap a great larger amount. Well, I asked him this question. I said, and this was in the year 2014. I asked him, I said, how much does one, you know, those bags of corn, ask him how much it, I said, how much it costs. He said somewhere between 80 and a hundred dollars. So, I said, well, how much would you have in each bag? He said 80,000 kernels of corn in every bag. Well, my goodness, you do the math back then. That means for every $80 bag you put in the, uh, you bought, you make $15,000. Now that's pretty good. So the investment that you put, if you sow sparingly, you're not going to reap as much, obviously. If you sow generously 
you, you put in a lot, you're going to reap more down the road of life. And I think also in this life. Now, I've invested time in some individuals. Uh, Johnny and, and my wife, they know this lady. Uh, there was a great lady. She was a member of my dad's church. I don't know, probably 35, 40 years at least. Her father was, a, excuse me, her husband uh, was a Catholic. Uh, he never came to church. I went to his funeral. I listened to that fella up there in a robe, call him Brother Samiska. He was no more a brother uh, than I'm a kangaroo. And uh, he was a mean, very mean to Miss Samiska. She was a wonderful lady, a godly lady, spiritual lady, prayer warrior. She'd have to walk to church most of the time. Uh, I'd say at least if she if she cut through the field at, uh, what, maybe a quarter of a mile to get to the church. But if she had to walk all the way around, be over a mile to get to the church, have to walk there and back. Her husband would not bring her to church. Sometimes I know my wife's father uh, would sometimes take her home and, and he'd have to park or drop her off uh, maybe uh, two or three blocks from where she lived or, or the old man would get mad at her. And uh, she was a, a generous lady. I know that uh, my little sister and her husband went to New Guinea and they were, I don't know, my dad was trying to raise some money to get them a car. Their car broke down or something. I don't know what's going on. And it wasn't going over very hot, and so nobody was really jumping to it. And she always sat over in the second row, uh, or maybe third row over on this side of the building. And she raised her hand, and she said, uh, I've been saving $4,000 for my funeral, so my husband wouldn't have to pay for it. And she said, uh, I'm going to give that 4000 for these young people so they can get on the, um, go to the mission field and do their deputation and all that. And she said, uh, uh, my husband's just going to have to bury me the best he can. And so she gave that. Well, as fate would have it, he died first. Thank God. And uh, so my dad's wife, my mother died. Our, brother, our mother died way back in 1975, just a 45-year-old girl. My dad, several years later, married a, another preacher's wife. And uh, my dad just died last uh, February, a year ago February. But uh, she's still alive and... So anyway, she went over to help Miss Miska uh, kind of straighten up things at the house and get rid of stuff. So there, these two old gals are, they're pawing through closets and throwing out this and that. And, and my dad's wife, if I got the story right, and Johnny, if you want to correct me, don't. Uh, <laughs> but she found a shoebox and she opened that shoebox and there was $16,000 in cash in that shoebox. Now, my wife has a lot of shoeboxes at home. I'm going to go through them someday, but I'm going to wait till she's gone. I'm gonna, and probably all I'll find is shoes in them. That'd be my luck, and I don't wear ladies' shoes. But uh, they got to, man, they got to searching around. And, and my dad's wife said, what about that old truck out there in the backyard? Miss Miska said, I've never been in it. She said, I'm going to get in it. She got in there. Now, I, I think I've got the number right. When they got done pawing around in that pickup truck and all the rest, they found $76,000. Now, Miss Samiska had given $4,000 to those kids to go to the mission field, help them get them a vehicle. You know what she said about that 76000 
She said, my husband kept it from me, but God kept it for me. And you can mark it down that the God of heaven, the individual who will give, he, you'll receive wages. God will bless you. God will supply your needs. God will give you things from unbelievable places. Giving, you cannot, it's a simple statement, you cannot outgive God. It's an obvious thing. You reap after you sow. You reap what you sow. If you plant corn, cucumbers aren't going to come up. You reap more than you sowed. Uh, you keep, you, you reap according to how much you've sown. And you know, there's another thing. The most valuable things take a little bit longer to grow. Now, I've, I've been in meetings since the middle of February, just every week. And I've been to two or three places lately. And I don't know how I got started on this. But I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't know how long it takes to grow Brussels sprouts. But if I was going to grow them, I'd hope they'd all die. I don't care for them. And I hadn't eaten a Brussels sprout, I don't think, in the 21st century. But this preacher's wife, you were there, weren't you, hon? Uh, we, we were, went to a restaurant, she ordered them. And she didn't dare me, but pretty, she had me, I tasted one. It's the most terrible thing I've had in my mouth in my life, I think. It was Brussels sprout. Brussels sprouts probably only take one. You know, an oak tree would take years to get big and get large. So, you know, important things, uh, things that are a whole lot better than Brussels sprouts, take a while to grow. There's another little thought in here I want to look at. Not only receiveth wages, but Jesus said, gathereth fruit. Gathereth fruit unto eternal life. There's fruit of just getting back this one-time harvest. But there's fruit for yourself, fruit for your family. Listen, you win souls, more folks come to church, more folks get involved in the ministry. Look look at verse number 39. I didn't read that. It said, many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him, talking about Jesus, For the saying of the woman, that woman at the well, which testified, he told me all that ever I did. I, uh, I want to fill it to the Lord a long time ago. He's in heaven now. (laughs) I'm wearing a tie. He's been in heaven. John, Al's been in heaven for 23 years. And his wife finally sent me my inheritance from him. This tie, I guess. And she did tell my wife she had the, she just went to the lawyer to get the will changed. Is that correct? And look what I got out of it, a tie that is at least 23 years old. But, uh, and I didn't plan on saying that, but I had this tie and I looked down at it, thought it'd be a good thing to say. But I want him to the Lord. I got that fellow saved in 1976. He became a multimillionaire. He's the only millionaire that my dad ever had in the church. If you went to my father's church, there's a great bit, there's a gymnasium and where the print shop is, it's, it's called uh, 
Al Van Buren Memorial Building. It's there in memory. He died just a 50-year-old young man on Christmas morning, 1999. I couldn't tell you. It's recorded in heaven. I couldn't tell you. The monies, the car that I drive, it's 23 years old. His, he's told his wife on his deathbed, buy Tim a brand new car. Her brother worked for Toyota. So I've driven for now for 23 years a Toyota Avalon. I grew up in General Motors country. They had Fords up there and Chrysler's too, but I grew up in a General Motors town. I mean, when those first Toyotas showed up in Lansing, Michigan, they were shooting at them. They didn't want those things in town. You think I'm kidding, don't you? I'm not. But I've that, give, give me that brand new car. I've had it all these years. I'd never sell it. And God has blessed me through that man. I, I just invested a little bit of time. I gathered some fruit that has grown and abounded and grown and abounded over the decades. I read, I read a wonderful illustration. I forgot all about it and I found it just today. It was an early 19th century preacher. He went to the king of Denmark and he was given an audience. And he said, I have a home for wayward women, women of the street. They suffer with illnesses and social diseases. They have a lot of problems. Now, I'd like to have some money to, to help them, get them off the street. The king said this. He said, that's a fine suggestion, a noble design. But no, I can't do that. The queen, her name was Eugenia. She heard, she listened as this man requested from the king some funds to help. She stood to her feet. She took the necklace, the diamond necklace from off of her neck. She said, I want you to take this diamond necklace and build the home that you want for those women. Years passed. One day, there was a knock at the door of that home that that man built for these kinds of women. And there stood the queen. She said, I have one simple request. I want to see what that string of diamonds from my neck has produced. He showed her the buildings. He showed her this. He showed her the facilities. She said, no, I don't want to see that. I want to see the young ladies. He said, oh, no, no. She said, oh, yes. Yes, I do. He was, she was introduced to this one and that one. He was introduced to a woman. And she said, are you... Are you the princess that gave the monies, gave the necklace from off your neck to build this facility for us? Through her tears, she thanked Queen Eugenia. When the queen got back to the palace, the king asked her, Well, did you see the glitter of your diamonds in the facilities? She said, No. I saw the glow of the diamonds in the tears of fallen women and in the lights of their eyes that shine so brightly because of the gift that was given. You, you, you don't know what you're doing. You don't know what you're doing when you send money to the foreign fields and place it in the hands of faithful preachers and missionaries and 
their wives and families that are giving their life for the cause of Christ. God help us to be givers. I preached one time at my father's church and uh, back to Mrs. Samiska. She had a boy named John. And I think John had genuinely gotten saved. But he happened to be there that Sunday morning that I was preaching. And uh, he came forward. And I talked to him a little bit. And down at the altar, we prayed a little bit. And uh, he got up and uh, my dad was glad to see him. And he said, John, we're so uh, glad to have you here today. He said, he said, yes, preacher, I'd like to say something. And he went to the microphone, dad had a microphone down there. And he said, uh, I'd like to thank Brother Tim, talking about me. He said, 400 days ago, he preached against smoking. Now, there's a lot of other things to preach about, but thank God that day I preached against smoking. Now, smoking will not send you to hell. It'll just make you smell like you've been there. But he said, I, 400 days ago, Brother Tim preached against smoking, and I quit smoking that day. And he said, every day for $400, for, excuse me, for 400 days, I put a dollar away. Were you there, Sandra? He said, every day for 400 days, I put a dollar away. He had a stack of $401 bills, and I was over here. He walked over and said, I want to give them to Brother Tim. Thank God, 400 bucks for doing nothing. That's a pretty good offering for doing nothing. I hope he's quit smoking and I hope I run into him because that's been about 20,000 days ago. You never know what you're doing when you help somebody spiritually to get them down the road. John was telling me today, about a preacher he's going to preach for out west. And you know him, you know him too, Brother Mitchell, and probably you do also, Brother Robinson, Brother, uh, John Paisley. And Johnny's going to preach there. And, uh, he said that Johnny had just been someplace here in North Carolina, I think, and he met a couple of boys. And one of them, Brother Paisley, had led to the Lord when Brother Paisley was assistant pastor in Pensacola, Florida. That was probably 60 years ago, at least 50 plus years ago. Here's an investment that he made in uh, some Sunday school boys that's still going on, serving God, living for the Lord. God help us to invest in the lives of others. Not only financially, but spiritually. What time is it? Do I have to quit any certain time? You didn't tell me nothing. Good. We moved. <laughs> we moved to the house. Uh, we lived in Lansing, Michigan. We moved out a little house trailer, another little house trailer. I'm all done. I, I keep telling my wife, things don't go any better. We're going to be moving back to a house trailer someday. But uh, she's not overly excited about that. But we finally got us a house, 760 square foot house. And uh, we loved that little house and and a couple of the boys were raised there. And I think Sam was even born while we lived there. I'm pretty sure he was. And we raised our boys there, I think, for 14 or 17 years, whatever it was, a long time. 
And uh, we had a neighbor across the street named Harry Smith. Harry was an old World War II vet, an old curmudgeon, a difficult character to put up with. And he was so particular, really his wife was, so particular about their lawn, so particular about their flower beds. And really his wife, she, uh, what was her name? Do you remember? Lillian, Lillian. And, (laughs) oh, I got to tell you this. I'll get out of the pulpit to tell you this one. One day we're sitting at the house. We're sitting, we had a little alcove that stuck out about that far and it's about that wide. And so Sandra getting innovative, we put the dining room table out there and that was our dining room. It was that wide and that long. And so we were sitting there and for whatever reason, my, oh, my mother-in-law had parked her car. Another reason why you don't like mother-in-laws, but she had parked her car in our driveway. And so I had to park out front on the street. Lillian and Harry, they fought all the time. We didn't have a television back in the, we didn't raise our boys with a television. I mean, and all those bad shows back then, Andy Griffith and all that trash and all that was on. But uh, we, we didn't have a television and you didn't need one. You know, they had, used to have the Friday night fights. And, and Harry and Lillian, they fought every Friday night. He'd get a little, you know, messed up and they'd get into it and you can hear him cussing and carrying on. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. So we just sit on the, on the front porch and watch them fight. Well, they got in, this was about a Tuesday or a Wednesday, I think. They had a preliminary battle, I guess. And uh, she come out of the house, got in her car, backed out of the driveway. The driveway was maybe from here to there, to, and here's the street, and there's their house. 60 miles an hour, and she stopped about three foot into my car. And Harry, he's mad. He comes out, he is cussing her down one side of the street. I'm coming down the other side of the street saying amen to everything Harry was saying. And I... But Lillian, Lillian came to church. She got born again. She got saved. And, uh, she passed away. And, uh, the boys loved Harry. And, and so did I. We were, and Sandra, she'd make a pie. She'd take a piece to Harry because there's just five of us and take a piece over to him and, and sometimes take meals and stuff over to him, take care of the old codger. And, uh, the boys, oh, the boys would go over there. And watch big time wrestling, like that was real, you know. Uh, big time wrestling was real, but the moon landing was fake, you know, those kind of people. That's what Harry was. So, anyway, I, I just, I, I will say this. For seven years, I mowed Harry's lawn, or the boys did. I offered to do that because, you know, they, it was always immaculate and it got kind of bad after Lillian died. And I went over there and I said, now, Harry, I'll mow your lawn for you. He said, all right, Green, you can do it, but you got to use my lawnmower. You know, like mine was not good enough, I guess, for his lawn. So I'd mow his lawn with his. I shoveled his snow, or the boys did, for seven years. I painted every room in his house except for his room. It was a disaster. I mean, you couldn't... The best, Michelangelo couldn't have done anything to that room. It was horrible. But I painted all the rest of the house. We, 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 I, we pulled the weeds out of the flower beds and made them look presentable. We loved that old man. He's lost as a goose. Talked to him. We moved away. We came back the first uh, summer. We had moved away to see family and friends and et cetera. I went to Harry's first. And I noticed that new front door, and uh, we'd led uh, the, the next door neighbors that just gotten say Barry and his wife. I can't remember her name, but they had we'd just gotten them saved a few months before we left, 
And so I went over to see them too. And I said, what, what, where's, where's the old man? What's going on with that door? Oh, somebody broke in and hurt him. And uh, he's got other issues. And he's up to the hospital. And I said, what hospital? And they told us. And so we went up to the hospital. This is back when you could get in the hospitals. And uh, we all walked into that room. Those three boys of mine, they went over that old man, hugged him, and kissed him. She went over there. Hugged him, kissed that old codger laying there. I said, my goodness, I guess I'm going to have to kiss him too. (laughs) I went over there and kissed him on the forehead. Talked to him a few minutes. I said, what about it, Smitty? What about eternity? He looked up at me, tears flowing down. All the boys were all crying, saying he's crying. (laughs) Everybody's crying. He said, well, Green... Now this dying time, I think I better. In a few minutes with the Bible, the verses of Scripture that give hope, that old man bowed his head and asked Jesus Christ to come into his heart. So a long time to get that old codger saved. It wasn't easy. There was plowing and hope and a lot of foolishness you had to go through. God help us. I like what it says there, gathereth fruit, gathereth fruit. Let me give you my last little thought. And that down there in verse number three, and he that reapeth may rejoice together. That both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. There's joy in serving God. There's joy in laboring together. You may Witness and witness and never get them and somebody else wins them. There's going to be rejoicing. Not only the, not only the sower, but the reaper. <laughs> and the one that gets saved and, and the one that won unto Christ. You, don't you think for one second when I get to heaven, I'm going to be, a, it's going to be a blessing to see Harry Smith. It's going to be a blessing to see Hal Van Buren. It's going to be a blessing see Brother Randy Pike that just went, my dad that just went, and other loved ones. Keep sowing. Keep reaping. Keep faithful. And keep others on the field for the grace of God. Together, the giver, the goer, the sower, the soul winner. There's a story of a little boy by the name of Bobby. He went to Sunday school a couple of weeks. He wasn't dressed as nice as the other kids, and so he quit. So the Sunday school teacher went after him and got him to come back, and he was there Sunday or so, maybe three, and, and he quit. And I don't know if the other boys picked on him or what. But he didn't come back, and the Sunday school teacher went to see him again, and he said, how come, Bobby, how come? He said, well, I've noticed that all the other boys, they have suits. I'm poor, I don't, that's all I have. A godly Sunday school teacher. He talked to the parents a moment. He said, do you mind if I take Bobby over to a little store and buy him a little suit of clothes and wear on Sunday? And, you, you know, sometimes we criticize how the bus kids come to church. But maybe he went and bought them a nice little pair of shoes or a pair of pants, nice pretty dress. Might be a little encouragement. And so this man, he bought that little Bobby a suit. A few weeks later, Bobby got saved. Bobby grew up up to be a man 
by the name of Robert Morrison, who became a missionary and went to China. He was there for decades, struggled, and only won ten people to Jesus Christ in all the time that he was there. But he translated the Bible into either Cantonese or the other one, I can't remember what it is right this moment. He translated the Bible into the language of the people of China. And Hudson Taylor came and picked up that Bible and won literally tens of thousands to Jesus Christ. You say, well, I can't do what anyone else, I can't do what someone else can do. You can do what you can do. You can give what you can give. You can be what you ought to be for the Lord Jesus Christ. Be faithful. Be a servant. Be involved. Pray that God would speak to your heart about what he wants you to give. There's nothing wrong with sacrifice. There's nothing wrong with it at all. There's nothing wrong. You know, the American people, we, we have such a high standard of living compared to the rest of the world. It's unbelievable. I've been in nearly 50 countries of the world. And in 40 of those countries, maybe 35 of those countries, I preached. Other countries you had to go through to get to some place where you could preach. I didn't preach there. But I've been in nearly 50, somewhere between 45 and 50 countries of the world. I've never seen people with the lifestyle that we enjoy. Now, Brother Robinson was telling us today he's been to Dubai. I don't know what he was doing over there. Probably bought an oil well or something with his money. I have no idea. But he was telling about that great city that's built there. And I've seen pictures of it and you have too. It's phenomenal. They have quite a, maybe a better lifestyle than Americans do. But listen, friend, God help us. God help us in these three or four days when we concentrate on getting the gospel to a lost and dying world and carrying the gospel to people that have never heard. And like this brother Gerard that was mentioned there, uh, he's going to have some serious health issues it sounds like to me with his, with his eye. And then talking about having to, you know, maybe go May or June to get some groceries. And, you know, we can go to the grocery on the way home from church and uh, get more than we need and more than we can use. May God help us. May God help us. God is asking us for money. And in return for that, we receive his blessing. There may be someone here tonight that God's talking to you about being a missionary, giving some years of your life to the cause of Christ on a foreign field. You know what the crop of that will be? You know what the harvest of that will be? A billion times a billion years in heaven, and we won't even hardly be started at that time. Heaven for the child of God. Heaven for the servant of God, heaven for the labor and the vineyards and the fields of this old world. May God help us. May God impress us. May God lay it upon our hearts what he would have us do in these days.